0: Say my name until the city burns and the stars fade away and your scars don't hurt. I will hold you till the sun comes crashing down. I'm yours until the end of time. Hey everyone, welcome to the Restored Tomorrow podcast, a listener supported podcast that is dedicated to restoring marriages to wholeness in Christ after being affected by pornography and sexual brokenness.
1: After betraying charity with pornography and unwanted sexual behavior, we had no idea how to rebuild our relationship, or even if it was possible to restore what was broken.
0: Today, by God's grace, we have learned how to connect again, laugh again, and rebuild spiritual, emotional, and sexual intimacy to an even greater experience than before.
1: Our goal is that as you hear our story, the stories of others, and the knowledge needed to heal, you too can have a marriage that is becoming restored to more.
0: I'm yours until the end of time. Update everyone. Course one registrations are back open. Whoop, whoop. This is an eight week course starting Thursday, September 14th. That is designed to help you and your spouse start the journey to becoming restored to more. It will be led by R2M certified coaches, Cody and Michelle Larson. We will be focusing on how to cultivate safety and trust, healthy communication, deal with triggers, and begin to discover how God can use crisis to create closeness. You can see all the details on our website and can register today at www.restoredtomore.com slash courses. Also, if you have appreciated this podcast, a great way to say thank you is leaving a five-star rating and a positive review. These reviews help more people find the podcast and experience hope and healing. Say my name until the Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Restored to More. You are gonna be so blessed by our guests today, Michael and Kristen.
1: Michael and Kristen Carey are the founders of Living Truth, which focuses on transforming the lives of those struggling with sexual brokenness and restoring the shattered hearts of their partners. They also have material teachings and resources to equip parents and leaders on the topics of healthy sexuality and how to prepare children for an over-sexualized culture. Michael and Kristen are pastoral care pastoral christian sex addiction specialist through christian sex addiction specialist international welcome michael and chris and we're so glad to have you guys
2: hey thanks
3: thanks charity and clinton thank you so much for having us
1: that is a mouthful you guys are i just want to make sure that certification was in there you guys are definitely specialists <laughs> i was like la, yes. la, 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 la. So,
2: <laughs> <laughs> certified pastoral sex addiction specialist. yeah um you should see the website it's really long <laughs> big, big, <laughs> lots of words
0: lots of credibility for sure but before we even dive into your guys's credibility and the knowledge and the wisdom that you guys have and you share with your audience on your own podcast that's incredible i would love for our audience to get to know you guys a bit um just can you share with us a quick summary of your guys's story and how you guys got to be where you're at today
2: sure yeah i um Around age 10 or 11, my cousin introduced me to pornography, and uh, that just um, catapulted me into uh, learning how to use it to cope with um, the dysfunctional family that I grew up in and and the um, uh, um, challenges that I had with peer pressure and bullies and all that stuff growing up. Um, uh, When I became a Christian, I thought Jesus would take all the desire away to look at porn. And I was on a spiritual high for about three months or so, and I thought that it was going to be gone. And then masturbation came back, and then I started looking at porn again. So, um, yeah, I took the behavior right into my Christian journey. So it did not go away. He didn't magically take it away. Um, And so when I was 38 years old in the IT industry after going through a divorce, uh, God showed me the way out. And it was really an all out surrender where I said, God, I will do whatever you want me to do. I'll read whatever you want me to read. I'll go wherever you want me to go. And the scariest part, I'll tell whoever you want me to tell. So 38 years old, I surrendered and that started the journey uh, where he showed me the pathway out to freedom. And I started uh, helping guys along the way and um, left the it industry and started in full-time ministry devoted to helping guys become free from this issue.
1: Wow. Michael, thanks for sharing that. Mm-hmm. I don't know for you. I always tell people it gets easier, but it's never easy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it's never this thing. It's like, Oh, no big deal. You know, mm-hmm. you, and I just, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like a lot of guys share that same story. They have to start with that surrender piece. Mm-hmm. And I, I personally love how it wasn't like I surrendered and then it was gone. Mm-hmm. Cause I think a lot of guys are just like, dang, Wish that was my story, you know. Versus the surrendering, starting the journey. Thanks for sharing that,
0: mm-hmm. Christian.
1: Could you answer the same question? Just sure. what your journey looked like, and where you're at, and how so, you got to where you're at today.
3: I was uh, I was full time career ministry after college, and when I was 16 weeks pregnant with my first son, was when I found out that my husband at the time was cheating on me with a student in our ministry and was addicted to pornography, <sighs> and it shattered my world. And so. Um, There were a lot of attempts on both of our parts to reconcile and there was no there were no recovery resources where we lived in southern New Mexico at the time, Um, but we did the best we could um, finding a Christian counselor etc, but ultimately that addiction won, and the marriage was a casualty so when my son was 11 months old, I moved back to Indiana to be near my family and have their support and start to rebuild my life, um, as a single mom. And that journey, I continued working in the ministry, um, by the skin of my teeth. I uh, originally got fired just for getting a divorce, but then they, I, I had some people fight for me and fight for me to keep my job. So I was allowed to stay in administrative work only. Um, And that was a painful, painful journey. But in that time, I started having other experiences of influencing and receiving from the Lord and being instead of doing like you guys were talking about earlier and started um, my process of rebuilding my life and started seeing God bring women with their own sexual brokenness or women who'd experienced betrayal into my life. And that became more and more my passion. So fast forward to 2009 when I met Michael and then we got married in 2000 at the very end of 2010 and we knew god was going to call us to use our brokenness which is different but me, kind of mirrors and he yeah he he called us into ministry we started working in sexual integrity ministry in 2011 and then started our own ministry in
0: 2013 wow so cool it's amazing how god uses just like what the enemy, that verse of like the, what the enemy intended for evil, God will use for good mm-hmm. and how God just completely transformed both of you and then was like, okay, now this is going to be your story together. And now looking at all the couples and the individuals that you guys have blessed through persevering and working on your own journey and recovery is so incredible. Uh, can you guys share with us now about your ministry? So what is living truth? What do you guys do there? Share with us a little bit about that. What does
1: it offer people for help that want help? All that. Mm-hmm.
3: You want me to go? Sure. Okay. So living truth has evolved over the years. What we offer now is men in the battle and women in the battle. These are two different groups, but that have congruent messaging, um, men in the battle for men struggling with unwanted sexual behavior, women in the battle, providing hope and healing for the betrayed partner. And eventually we're going to start a couples in the battle so that couples after they do their own work individually for a year can, move into a couples program together. Um, Historically, we've also helped start a women's sexual integrity group. And I really have that on my heart to launch one on Zoom because that was, it was a local group to launch one on Zoom in the future, in the near future, because I think this is one of the most untouched areas of ministry in the church today is women's sexuality, like unwanted sexual behavior in women. So, but, but currently with men in the battle and women in the battle, it's, um, It is a high, high, high emphasis on the small group experience, the power of a small group. So we have peer facilitators that have gone through this personally that are leading a small group of men and men in the battle, women and women in the battle through a um, it's two six month long um, curriculum. So for men in the battle, it's the freedom path for women in the battle. It's the healing path. And right now we just launched our first one. So we're halfway through our very first round of this custom curriculum that we've created with a collaboration from a lot of our facilitators and other professionals on all the different topics that you need as a man to achieve freedom from unwanted sexual behavior and more, like way more, like total restoration Mm -hmm. transformation to be the person God created you to be Mm -hmm. and same thing for the women, but with healing and, and with hope and restoration.
1: Wow. That's fantastic. You know, and
3: we've done lots of other stuff in the past, but that is our main focus now.
1: And I love that we were talking earlier about off air, just how that's evolved Mm -hmm. and how you guys have seen, okay, we, we, we're doing this, which is awesome. We have to add this to it. Or, you know, what we, how can we help people mature and develop? And I love that because, that's what mm-hmm. we're all about. We feel like God doesn't just save us from something, he saves us to something. And and that's really what it, it's all about. Is he didn't it's not just like, oh, I'm walking in freedom just just to be free. Mm-hmm. I think that's that verse is mistranslated a lot of times in the Bible too. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free, which means he was always thinking about the outcome. God's outcome focused. Mm-hmm. And and I love that. So, I love that you guys are doing that. That's so cool. And yeah. mm-hmm. and I think it's so important
2: yeah, before the pandemic we were um and a part of the ministry that I really love too is uh, we were speaking to college students going to college wow. campuses and wow. speaking at um group meetings like uh, crew mm-hmm. and so on and yeah. so we would uh, we we would give our testimony in in a way that was teaching and and helping them, you know, kind of like how Jesus taught in parable mm. and uh, form. So so we teach through story form instead of another lecture. College students don't want that, but um, and then we offer Q and A, Q&A and we offer to meet them one on one, so that we can help launch them onto their journey of freedom as well. And so it's yeah. uh, beautiful to see college students engage in that before they get married and bring this into their marriage. You know, oh, the yeah. the uh, unhealthy sexuality. So, and we've seen all kinds of really really neat stories. Um, gosh thousands of students i don't know i don't even know how many campuses we've spoke at but uh, yeah so that's something that i miss i uh, can't wait for for us to be able to get back on uh, that journey as well
1: so
0: wow i wish we had something like
1: that you can just see your hearts i don't know i feel like your hearts are so like, you're like, we want to help everybody. We want to help the the women who have unwanted yeah. sexual behavior. We want to help the men. We got to help the women <laughs> have hope and heal. There's the college students. We got to help premarital. We got to help postmarital. We got to help, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I guess, and I, and I, we totally get it. We mm-hmm. totally get it. Yeah. And as you know, as you know, we have three little boys. And so we've had to like focus our efforts in one area because it's okay. so easy to be not overwhelmed by it, but just once you start peeling back or maybe unlocking the doors to brokenness, you realize that this unwanted sexual behavior is everywhere and even if they aren't the person doing it they're the person affected by it and there's so much brokenness in our culture which you guys talk about creating stuff for to teaching children about the over sexualized culture that we live in and i just think man like well you know again we have a four two and one year old and it's like we're constantly seeing it we're seeing it in disney movies we're seeing it in things that are you're like why is that in there like there's no way but they're so exposed to so much you know well, can you guys talk yeah. to us about, you know, you design, these groups, what I'm curious about is you guys know that our listeners, your listeners on your podcast, there, there are programs out there, there's solutions out there. What do you guys think you bring to the table that that maybe is specific to what you've done? You said the power of a small group. What does that cultivate? What What, what is the goal there that you guys are creating in that system? Mm hmm. <clears throat>
2: Well, you you mentioned something about like what do we bring to the table? I think you're alluding to something different or whatever it is. And you know, uh, I've seen a lot of different programs out there that are really great. And when when God called us to write curriculum, you know, I always felt Jesus saying, uh, "Do something brand new." Mm. Uh, mm. There's and and there's there is there, there's there's wonderful programs that are out there already that people are um, being set free through. So. So, the idea of men in the battle for guys eighteen and older who struggle or have struggled in the past the, um, uh, some, some of the differences are that we're you know we 're not focused on behavior management at all. Uh, in other words, behavior management would be you know just try and stop doing that. The whole goal is to cease some specific behavior, but um, we always look much deeper in matthew fifteen nineteen where jesus said it 's out of the heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality." and uh, adultery being a couple in the list that he, that he had, uh, that he offered there. And so, so we focus in on the heart. It's like open heart surgery. We, uh, we dive deeper in uh, the um, interesting thing about men looking at pornography or um, uh, going to see a prostitute. It really isn't about sex at all. You know, it's a very, very, very little to do with sex actually. So, so many things that um, are missing from a person's life that they've, That they've missed out on growing up that they you know that the way that they uh, that they cope with anxiety and all these things we so we go we go after the heart we go we we go after a model where we're we're engaging in how do we um how do we unearth that how do we excavate you know the uh, all the junk that's in there so that we can have soil that's fertile and then we start to start to help them rebuild the man uh, rebuild them as a believer in Christ. Rebuild them into the men that God intended them to be, and and so having a um, peer facilitator who's trained uh, uh, allows us to to be able to help these men really apply the curriculum specifically to their lives. So so it's um, and. Yeah, there's groups out there, twelve-step groups and different things where uh, they 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 don't have any leader, and so they all you know they they all get to um, sit sit around and and talk, and and it's very helpful. Uh, we find that it's also very helpful to have somebody who's who's been further down the path and they've experienced freedom. So it's it's kind of like um, I've been where you are, and I know the path out. Uh, the pathway out. Yeah. So that's, um, that's kind of some of the keys when it comes mm. to the small group experience. And for guys, you know, interestingly, you know, I love what John Eldred said in Wild at Heart in his book, he said, he said that, um, you know, what we're really looking for is a, a healthy, intimate relationship with our fathers, with our brothers, with men, when we're looking at sex with a woman. Mm. So it's really, it's really interesting uh, when you uncover it. So, so what they're really longing for is the intimacy that men in the battle creates in that small group all along.
1: So good. Mm-hmm. So cool.
0: Well, I think it just breeds hope when you're sitting in a group and you know that the person who's leading it has walked through it. Cause that's like, okay, okay. They know what I've gone through, right? It's validating their pain. And then also it's shining hope. Like, okay, there's, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Like I'm looking at somebody who's made it and is successful. And all of those are such incredible elements added to a group. So awesome. Do they go through a, um, a workbook or is it, um, topical groups? What, what does that kind of look like?
3: So it's our custom curriculum Cool, and it is, it's, it's, it's short videos, Under fifteen minute long videos because we're trying to gear towards busy, overwhelmed, Mm -hmm. likely traumatized Mm -hmm. people,
2: which is everyone anyway.
3: (laughs) (laughs) But especially with our with our um, people that are coming to us for help. Um, So it's mostly short videos, some worksheets, and some short articles, Mm -hmm. and it's released one stage or one module of material at a time. Yeah, and they go through that material, and it's like like for example, this week in my women's group um, they're starting stage three of the six stage journey. So they're going to talk about the overview, the video that gives an unpacking of the overview of what we're going to do this stage. And they're also going to talk about loving detachment. Mm. And that's, so there's videos and worksheets and all of that, that they'll discuss their own work that they're doing on Mm. that particular topic. And it's, it's sequential, not that this journey is linear, as you guys know, but we give topics in what we believe is, is a very helpful order for them to be able to experience healing and
0: restoration.
1: Well, I want to tap into your guys' mindset on a few topics that you're probably going over in those groups. Mm. Um, because you know, uh, we get, you know, we get to do this whenever we interview somebody like, Hey, we're going to find some gold nuggets here. We're going to tap into some wisdom and then everyone's grateful. And, uh, and we love doing it because we learn a ton from people like you who are putting on these programs. So, the, what I've heard you guys talk about is this toxic shame piece and how it's not experienced by only one person. It was, it blew my mind There you talk about that, Michael, but then you Kristen, added on that and how the shame component for the betrayed is like crazy intense, more intense than and a lot of other things they would experience if they were married to somebody who suffered from different addictions. Can you guys both hit on that and, and just kind of educate our listeners about that? Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah
2: toxic shame. Um, I like, I like to have two different words, you know, shame and guilt. So guilt is uh, healthy that leads to repentance and shame is turning inward. And it's, um, looking at, at, uh, the self, at the person on, on a very broken, um, level and as defining myself, you mm-hmm. know, like, um, one, one man might say, I looked at porn, you know, and, uh, I, i made a huge mistake. I, I want to get free. Another guy would look at porn and say, I'm such an awful human being. I'm a loser. You know, so the latter is shame, toxic shame. Just one example of that. And really uh, shame. I uh, yeah, I love the the interview that I did with Jay Stringer. He talked about the uh, story of the uh, shark. Um, one of the shark guys whatever that was <laughs> where he says you know everything in the ocean swims away from the great white shark but um so really if you have a shark attack you have a shark coming after you he said swim toward it it's like completely counterintuitive mm. uh, so that's uh, that's what jay said we should do with with shame mm. is swim toward it enter into it move toward it expose it talk mm. about it because other people don't see you the way that you see yourself mm. through that shame. So, you know, we, we live our lives through this, through this lens of who we think we are, uh, even though God tells us we're somebody else, we're, we're, uh, we're joint heirs with Christ, you know, we're sons of God. We're so, so it's, um, you know, the enemy of our soul causes us to, and, and sets that shame on fire in our hearts to where that's, that's all that we can see, yeah. uh, and we can't see anything else so so moving toward it and exposing it and that's uh some for for so many guys you know when they get into a men in the battle group it's the first time that they've ever been able to talk honestly and openly about their behavior mm. and even still a lot of them are withholding you know they're holding yeah. back and they're not telling them everything but um, for you know in, in the very beginning I and mean, I've had so many guys come to me and say thank you so much this is the first time mm. that I've actually been able to be myself instead of trying to be someone else so you know when we're ashamed of who we think we are then we we have masks and personas that we start to bring out and we um to the point where guys don't even know who they are Mm -hmm. any longer you know they pretended to be someone else and we have different different personas that we bring out depending on the kind of people or the group that we're around and and this isn't just you know for um men or women who struggle with unwanted sexual behavior, this is the human experience. In Mm. other words, all human beings have some amounts of shame and all human beings have, have put, put forward this persona. I Um, was
3: ashamed. And so I hid, Mm. you know, way back in Genesis. Mm -hmm. That's
2: it. That's where it started in Genesis three, three and four. And yeah.
1: Mm. And you guys talk about how I've heard you say on, on different interviews that, the shame doesn't even only come from the behavior that we, that we do, but it can be even developed at like, <clears throat> excuse me, it can be developed like even 18 months of a child who's going through things where they're internalizing this shame that maybe is being passed down from parents. Is that right? Am I saying that right?
3: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if a parent doesn't love themselves, accept themselves, mm-hmm. treasure themselves, care, take care of themselves. Um, and I know a lot of Christians balk at that, but it's like, did Jesus not say, "Love your neighbor as you love yourself"? Yeah, yeah. I mean, our, you know, our, it's it's assumed that we will take care of ourselves and love ourselves, but instead we abuse ourselves. Mm. So if a parent is not loving themselves, they can't truly pass unconditional love mm. onto their child. And most of us, you know, as children, we pick up on how our parents feel about themselves mm. and internalize that. We also pick up on how our parents feel about each other. So, you know, especially in families where there's an addictive system and the parents are at war with each other. It's not to say that we can't have arguments in front of our kids, but is there repair? Is there acceptance? Is there grace? Is there Mm -hmm. mercy? Anyways, when all of, you know, when, when we reject ourselves and we reject our spouse, we're, we actually pass that on to our Mm -hmm. kids. Mm -hmm. There, It can be repaired. It's not hopeless, but.
2: So when, when you feel uh, horrible about yourself, it, it's a lot easier to look at someone else's faults mm-hmm. than deal with your own, you know? So yeah, that's, um, there's that book that I've never read called Hurt People, Hurt People. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's <laughs> so true. Um, I don't know if I intend on reading it. I'm just saying that's the title of it. It's great advice. And, and to understand this problem, hurt people really do hurt people. Mm-hmm.
3: And Clinton, you had asked about the shame for the partner and the the thing that I see and I experienced this myself is, I mean, I, I, I went through this pre-trauma model, trauma model didn't exist. It was all co-addict model. Yeah. So I was immediately told things like, what, what aren't you doing? What did you do? Like, have you figured out why you married a man like this? Mm. Like, I didn't know. I didn't know that he would do this. I didn't. I had no idea. We were Christians. We were virgins when we got married. You know, we, we were in ministry together. Yeah. I had no idea. But there is a lot of shame put on me as I must have contributed to this problem. Mm. And then even now with the trauma model being used in our ministry and so many other wonderful ministries, it's it's like there's this intuitive innate question that a woman has when she knows her husband has cheated and that is why am i not enough even a mm. woman who knows that she's amazing yeah. um i think it's part of our bargaining mm. i think it's part of the grief of like wondering like how you know what could i have done differently and a healthy person will eventually come to realize the 3 c's i didn't cause it i can't control it i can't cure it this is not on me but for a while, I think a lot of women absorb some of his shame, and then they also take on some of the "why wasn't I enough?" Why wasn't I enough for him? Yeah. That he, that he had to go look elsewhere. Hmm. Once they understand that it really never was about sex, and it really never, she could, it would be impossible for any one human woman to be enough for the addiction because it was never about somebody being enough. It was about him being sick. Hmm um, then she can rid herself of some of that
1: shame. Wow. And that, and that only comes from doing the personal work, right? That's what you're talking about.
0: Yeah. Um, I want, you guys were just hitting, hitting on it briefly and I kind of want to dive deeper. Um, I would love to ask you, you know, your work helping daughters and young women of addiction are amazing. Um, what issues does a daughter experience when their dad continues to have unwanted sexual behavior?
3: Oh my gosh. Well, have you heard our latest episode with Taylor? She's a daughter. uh, It was a two part series very recently. Okay. Okay. You guys really good because it's her story. And then we're going to release another one in Mm. May, another two part series with another daughter. These are the two daughters that were in our very first daughters in the battle meeting for Mm. young women who've been impacted by their parents, sexual betrayal. So, um, a lot of toxic shame Mm. and, um, Again, because parents are having so much pain and conflict, even from when they're young, even if they don't see it, it's not like dad's, you know, pounding a fifth of vodka and um, screaming and yelling. But that mm. that backdrop of what's going on with his shame over his sexual secrets, it, it is transmitted in a mm. family. So but when it comes out that this is what the problem is when a daughter or a son finds out there's a tremendous amount of shame because we all identify ourselves as coming from our parents as being a part of them. Mm -hmm. Part, Part of becoming a teenager and growing up is learning, no, I am a completely separate person, but we still are drastically influenced by our parents and what they were like and how they treated us and how they treated themselves, how they perceived the world and God. And so these uh, girls, I mean, Taylor's a great example where the first time she found out she was 16 and she actually went to one extreme of acting out sexually. Mm -hmm. I think she was like, if my dad is doing this, like, I guess it's okay." Mm -hmm. You know, I Mm -hmm. mean, the other extreme was 10 years later when she found out again and it was way worse Um, That she shut down completely sexually Mm -hmm. and shut down completely to the idea of a relationship. Now she's done her own work. So these daughters can go, they can do their own work and they can get help and they can unpack all of this and change and grow and actually become better than they ever were before. But in the beginning, there's a ton of shock. There's a lot of parallels with partners. In fact, back before Daughters in the Battle existed, I had met this young woman, Kirsten, whose podcast is coming out in May. And she, she needed help. She was mm. crashing and burning. Um, sometimes in an addictive family system, a child is parentified or made into like a surrogate spouse and depended on emotionally mm. by one or both of the parents. Wow. And so she had been living this in this state of over-responsibility and taking wanting to take care of her mom then when her mom was traumatized by dad's sexual betrayal and it decimated her relationship with her dad. So she had nothing except for, I think she may have had a therapist at that point. She didn't have any other help. And I just said to her, do you want to try coming to women in the battle? I didn't know what else to offer her. She yeah. was she benefited from it so tremendously mm. because she felt validated. And part of the power of the group is, is hearing other people in the group be vulnerable and honest and say things about what they're thinking and how they're feeling that you yourself have thought or felt but have never voiced out loud or have never really identified and all of a sudden you're like oh my gosh i'm not crazy oh my mm. gosh maybe i'm normal you know maybe this is okay that i'm feeling this way and maybe i don't have to always stay here so um it is very traumatic for kids when sexual betrayal breaks out in a family but there is hope mm. for healing there is hope. Is they just need a lot of support and who are they supposed to talk to? Mm. I mean, both of these girls were like, I told my friends, some of them were like, they just let me cry with them, but that's about the best they can do. Yeah. Most people don't even know how to do that.
1: Yeah. So true.
0: And that is why it's so important to get your own individual healing. <laughs> so so that you can be an example to your kids. You know, you can show them that there's hope, that there's healing, that there's freedom you know, Clint and I always talk about this, like if we're not comfortable going deep and talking about our own sexuality, how in the world are we supposed to come alongside the younger generation and help them? You know, we need to be equipped. We need to be prepared so that when they come to us, we don't get awkward, feel shame. It's like, no, we can address it. We can talk about it in a healthy way.
1: Yeah. You know, <laughs> you guys both came from, you know, the the I, the i words you use um were that your marriages or your Christian, your marriage was a casualty of sex addiction and that it overran it. And I guess what we deal with, and I'm sure you guys do too, is you have so many couples that come to you for help and they're asking for how do I handle this? And I would love to pick your brain. How how can a wife know that her husband is getting better? I think mm. a lot of wives are like, hey, we're deciding to stick through this, mm. but he's he's not perfect right now. How do I know he's getting better? How do I know that I should be sticking with this marriage? Could you answer that? It's a big question.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think well, yes, um, some something that we learned many, many years ago when we first got started in ministry was what that looks like. and and uh, we're really grateful. I think it was Richard Blankenship that first taught us openness, brokenness, and humility. Mm-hmm. Those three are the ingredients of, of someone and who, who's, who, who has, you know, everything to, to make it. He has, he's, he's got to have the attitude of surrender that that I mentioned earlier. Um, That is extremely important. So, But what does that really look like? Openness, brokenness and humility really, really is, you know, if um, and I tell guys, if your wife asks you to sleep on the couch, the answer is just yes. You know, Mm. it would, especially in the beginning, I'm talking about when when she finds out she's traumatized, understanding that you've been looking at porn for 30 years and she didn't know about it. Or, you know, maybe it was something worse with um, crossing the flesh line. Uh, I tell guys just do whatever she asks, except if she asks you to kill yourself, you, you can say no to that for sure, <laughs> but otherwise you know even if, even if it's drastic, say, let me talk to my counselor about that. you know, let me talk to someone else about that. Don't yeah. say no immediately even if it's drastic things, like quit your job or whatever it is but um so so that's um that's a brokenness and and a humility mm. in there um. Okay, he may um, certainly get defensive uh, from time to time. I think that's a natural human reaction to some degree, but um, the guy who's gonna be free is never gonna stay there. He's gonna circle back around and he's gonna say, I'm so sorry, I got all defensive. You know, uh, you're, you're right. You know, this, I, you know, it's all, uh, my, I have to own my, my behavior 100%. You know, I chose to do this and I'm so sorry. So he's he's willing to get help, willing to talk to the people that he needs to talk to. So that's the openness, brokenness, and humility. Wow.
3: And then, of course, we say, believe the behavior. Like, if he says, oh, I love you, or I want to make this work, but he refuses to go to group, or he refuses to get counseling, then don't believe his words, believe his behavior. And one thing that really helps our... Women know is we expose them to other men in recovery. So we will uh, have a men's panel, for example, where mm-hmm. men who've been in recovery come and answer the women's questions. And that's very eye-opening because for some women, they've only seen the closed off, um, prideful, arrogant, um, defensive, angry man who is turning everything back on her and gaslighting her. And so she doesn't, but he's so smooth at it, and he can put it. He can cue the tears at just the right time, that she doesn't realize what's yeah. happening. When sometimes when women see men who are recovering, that can be really helpful, and uh. see their posture and their attitude, the softness, the the kindness, the gentleness, like Jesus, right? Um, uh. And then also Michael will come in and answer the women's questions, and when he says something like, "If your husband, if you ask him for something," reasonable, like, would you sleep on the couch? I feel unsafe. I cannot fall asleep in our bed with you in there because I'm so agitated right now. Then he he needs to honor that. And so just having permission, I think for some of these women, having permission to ask for what they need to feel safe and having a man who's leading, hopefully their husband and other men say, yeah, that's a perfectly reasonable thing to ask for. It's validating to women to know, okay, either yeah, my husband, he might be making a lot of mistakes, but he's in the trajectory of that broken openness, brokenness, yeah. openness, and humility yeah. or not. Yeah. Right.
0: I want to ask a tough question. Um, maybe you have an answer. Maybe you don't. It's okay. But from what we're talking about, she's in recovery. She's healing. She's finding freedom, confidence. He is unwilling to do anything. What do you encourage her to do? What's you the first en- step? Does she stay? How long would you encourage her to stay? Um, yeah. What, what are your thoughts on all that?
3: Well, this is a great question. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you that one of our greatest values is safety. Mm-hmm. And so we, we do not, we have a very um, strong guideline of not giving advice in our groups. Mm-hmm. We empower women with information so that they can make choices. And so the very first module or stage of our material is all about safety. So we equip them with learning about the power and control wheel and power differentials and the value of a power and control person versus a non-power and control person. Um, We equip them with stuff they need to know to get safe. So for example, we encourage them, if you haven't already had an STD test, this is all in the curriculum side, right? We would encourage you, here's some things you can consider doing for safety, right? So a lot of times what happens is they get that information and they start to wake up and go, oh my gosh, I'm not safe. Like, and you know, when they learn things like believe the behavior, not the words. And I mean, I feel like just telling a woman straight up, you really should leave is first of all, it's not my business, Mm -hmm. right? And it's her business. Mm-hmm. And second of all, she may not be ready
0: mm-hmm.
3: to leave. Third, I'm not God. And I don't know mm-hmm. if um, if he is a power and control person and and or a narcissist or can't change, or if he's just lagging behind and he's still acting out, but there's going to be a breakthrough. And I can't make that decision for her, but I can get, empower her with lots of knowledge and information to help her walk in truth walk in the light, walk with her eyes open, not her head in the sand. So knowledge is power. And she has this knowledge. And then she has the courage and the support of all these women rallying around her. And she sees some of them with similar situations and the decisions they're making. Mm -hmm. And that challenges her, Mm -hmm. right? And so even when I used to, I used to work one-on-one with women. And so did Michael. We've had to give that up because we don't
2: Uh, have. I work one-on-one with men. Yeah.
3: That's, you worked with the, we, we I worked, worked with, with the women, women yeah. he worked with men, he used to yeah. work one-on-one. <laughs> we, we've had to give that up because of the time it takes to run all the other programs of our ministry and creating curriculum. Well, even when I worked one-on-one, the only time I would ever say, um, yeah, let's get you help to leave is if a woman would straight up ask me, do you think I should leave? Yeah. And especially if she's unsafe or if, let's say she's not like overtly being emotionally or psychologically abused, but he is just not recovering. And, she, and she's and she got all the knowledge she needs and she's got her safety plan in place. And she asks me, D- I'm thinking about divorce. You know, what do you think? Uh, I mean, I would, I would be like, I totally support you mm-hmm. to do that, you know, but it's so her choice.
2: Yeah. yeah. It was Nate Larkin who told me four out of five men won't get help unless they are faced with an ultimatum. Yeah. And now I, I don't, I don't encourage women. You need to rush into an ultimatum right away, but through setting boundaries mm-hmm. and they, t- they teach about that in women in the battle, you know, having, having boundaries as safety through boundaries. I've seen guys start to come around and say, okay, you know, uh, but until she really, uh got to that place where she was willing to set those boundaries, he wasn't going to do his work. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. So good. And I think that's so true. I know I needed that from charity. Countless other men say, Hey, you know, when my wife said, this is it. And I love what, I love what you said, Christian, because it just sounds like every case is so different. There's not a one size fits all one answer covers it all. And I love what you're saying is instead of, instead of us jumping to the outcome of divorce or not or should i stay or should i go you know it's it's really the uh it's the question of let me empower you and let me teach you how to analyze this the right way let me help you look towards the light let me help you understand the confidence level find restoration in yourself and then you're more able to make a healthy decision not based off of emotion or even something an occurrence or one thing happening mm-hmm but be able to kind of maturely analyze that.
3: The word we love is clarity. Mm. We love to give women clarity for here's what's happening. Like Mm. they watch the teaching on gaslighting. They do the worksheet on gaslighting and they go, Oh my gosh, Mm. he's gaslighting me. Mm. And then they learn how to opt out of that and they learn how to identify This is happening. I'm not going to engage with this. And they start to realize why they've been so confused for so long. And then they can make their decisions out of that clarity.
1: So good. That's so powerful. Thanks for sharing that. I think that's going to help a lot of people hearing this in the podcast for sure. Yeah. Um, well, you know, what I would love to ask you guys is, you know, here, here's, I don't know if you face this a lot. I would assume you do. Couples are like, oh my gosh, we're devastated. I just found out he's looking at pornography. He has an addiction or he's acting out. He's crossing a flesh line. We need help. Wait, your programs are a year They're How much? And it's like, okay, all of a sudden, it's like, wait a minute, you just said I would do anything to fix our marriage, and then the money comes up, and it's too expensive, or it's too long. Everybody that's our age, Chair and I, I'm thirty, she's twenty nine. We all want a microwave fix. You know, we want we want microwave burritos. You know, what I'm saying everybody wants to pop something in the microwave. Thirty seconds later, it's good to go. I think we all want two week long to our ultimate body fat fitness. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like that's that's where we're at as a culture. And so, and so how do you guys counteract that where Mm. people are saying, I want a great marriage and you're sitting here and you're this amazing couple. It's going, look, freedom is possible. Mm. Restoration is possible. Reconciliation is possible. You can thrive in your relationship. But the caveat Mm. is it's going to take time. It's going to take money. How do you guys assess that with people?
2: Well, I've asked guys, you know, how long have you been addicted to porn. How long have you been looking at porn? So, yeah. um, if you were, if you would have asked me, you know, after 20 years, then I would say, um, 10 was what I would have said, you yeah. know, cause I would have lied. But anyway, so, <laughs> so 10, so I, so I would come back to him and say, okay, so you want to, so, so you've been doing this every week for 10 years and you want to just take care of this in one month. Mm-hmm. Is that really realistic? Mm-hmm. You know, n- absolutely not. Do you think one year, investing one year of your time, do you think investing six months every single week is worth it? If if that could buy you freedom, you know, or are you willing to take the risk and not do this? Then go ahead and keep doing it for another 10 years, you know, yeah. and then sure, you know, uh, all the porn that I looked at was free. But <laughs> the other aspect as far as the financial is, um, you know, it it fits in the same category, you know, what kind of a price do you really want to pay? Freedom isn't free, right? (laughs) Freedom always comes with a cost. Um, It's really interesting how how much depth there is in the cross itself and how, you know, freedom for us had to come with a severe price, Mm. right? I mean, Jesus died for you. Mm. So what is freedom worth to you? Uh, is it worth a hundred bucks a month? Well, absolutely. You know, when, when I was coaching and, um, you know, my fee was a hundred dollars and, and I said, I, I told guys, I don't, um, guys would say, well, I can only afford to come every other week. I would say, well, I'm sorry, but I can't do that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I won't. Uh, it needs to be at least once a week. And if, Hey, if you need to take money out of your savings, cash in on your 401k, Do you realize what your life will be like? So casting a vision of what freedom really Mm, feels like, you know, (laughs)
3: $235,
2: but you know, you (laughs)
3: can't,
2: that's without the child support. But anyway, you, you thinking about a hundred dollars, is it, is it really worth it to be free? And I, and, you know, Clinton, I don't know what you believe about, uh, I I totally support covenant eyes and the different types of software, the blockers, but that goes back, you know, rewind back to behavior management. I'm talking about the kind of freedom where we don't need that, Mm -hmm. where, where we can, you know, we, we can take, we can take our phones and we just, we just don't look at anything on these devices, you know? So that's the the kind of freedom that's to be had. Is it worth, the price that you're going to have to pay. So it really is their decision, you know, and if they don't, then I feel like they're really not, they haven't reached that place of surrender that I yeah. talked about earlier, yeah. you know, when they get there and that's where I was, it was like, this is a tumor inside of me and I yeah. don't care what needs to happen. If you don't give me anesthesia, I don't care. Just get it out. Now yeah. I have to get this out of my life. I don't care what the cost yeah, because is you were totally willing. when you reach that and, and, you know, towards the end where I, I was coaching guys, those were the only guys that I would coach. Yeah. You know, those were the only guys. And they asked, some some guys would ask me, what's your success rate of helping guys get free? And I always said, it's a hundred percent, you know, a hundred percent of the guys that do a hundred percent of the things I ask them mm. to do and are a hundred percent all in, they get freedom a hundred percent of the time. <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: But a hundred percent of the guys that don't do a hundred percent of things, I say, <laughs> and aren't a hundred percent all in, fail hundred percent of the time well, so it's a hundred percent whatever way you look at it you know you have to so yeah help them to to see the vision yeah. of what that really looks like because um it's just a smoke screen and yeah. usually the guys that that say that usually just aren't really ready yet
0: yeah
3: now we have a massive shift that we made in our model because we started by doing free support groups in local churches mm. and um, then eventually we started just asking for like a donation, whatever people wanted to give like $2 a week or whatever. Um, But the, the consistency of people actually doing that was, was rare and low. And the, the commitment level of people coming through our programs was not high. Mm. There were some people that committed themselves, but it was haphazard. And the people could come in at any time and leave whenever there's no commitment needed. And there were some gifts in that, but there were also some constraints. And when COVID hit, We had to move all of our meetings to zoom and then eventually God led us to move everything to zoom and to build this program um, that is six months long for the first uh, track. And um, then you can take the second one if you want to. Um, But, but we have have seen a way higher level of engagement. Mm -hmm. So while we may have had more bodies pass through the room Mm -hmm. when it was free and it was open at all times, I think we have, I think we're going to have a way higher rate of transformation with the consistency and the commitment.
0: So true. I love that. Uh, sign me up. You got me yeah. like fired up. I'm like yeah. I don't even have a. I, this isn't Poor my issue, issue right you're now, but I, I'm signing up because isn't that isn't that you're in? We have a coupon. I'm in. <laughs>
1: yeah, I just want to know is there a coupon? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: But isn't that the kind of God that we serve? I mean, we just I like we so resonate with what you're talking about. Like freedom is like God doesn't just say like yeah you're gonna experience freedom but have all these blocks. Forever, You know, it's like, no, when you have experienced total freedom in Christ and done a lot of recovery and healing, then like God doesn't want to live. He doesn't want you to live in bondage. He doesn't want you to still be a slave to programs and your phone. Like he wants you to live in complete freedom. But like you said, freedom comes with a cost. And are you willing to do that work? But it's so worth it when you talk about that. Like, I'm like, yes. Why would you not want to have a life like that? You know? So you got me all fired up. We are excited. We love what you guys are doing. And so true. China had to spend
1: thousands of dollars. I mean, thousands Mm -hmm. and thousands and thousands of dollars on counseling, recovery, therapy, intensives, groups. I mean, you know what I mean? And there's not one penny of that that was not worth it. Like there's not one session that was like, oh, I wish I didn't pay that. And it wasn't that every session was epiphanies and gold nuggets and bombs dropped. It's just the process of healing. It's not that you, yeah. every, you know, and so I, yeah, my therapist was like, Hey Clinton, let's look at your budget. Like how much coffee do you buy on a daily basis? Right. How much you spend at the gym? How much you spend for, mm-hmm. for subscriptions at Netflix and how much you spend on eating out? Like, why are you valuing eating out more than your own recovery? And I was All like, stayed. dang, Oh snap. You know what I mean? And I was like, because that's yeah. a reality, right? Most Priorities. couples easily spend three to 600 bucks a month on eating out. And then another four to 600 bucks on groceries. And so it's like, okay, we can spend a thousand bucks on food, but we can't prioritize recovery, you know? And so yeah. I'm just like, yeah. yes and amen to what you guys amen. said. And and honestly, Mike, when you talked about what that looks like for Jesus to sacrifice his life, mm-hmm. there was no mm-hmm. price too high that he was unwilling to pay for us, Yeah, right? Hmm. Yeah.
2: And, stuff. you know, in, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount where he talked about if uh, you looked at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. You know the very next verse says, "If your right eye causes mm-hmm. you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away." Yeah. Or if your right arm causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. And so I don't believe that Jesus really was into self-mutilation, but um, <laughs> what he was saying was take it that seriously. Mm-hmm. You know,
1: yeah. and he
2: wasn't even talking about sin of the flesh. He's talking about in the heart. You've mm-hmm. committed adultery in your heart. Mm-hmm. Take. Take this growth, the spiritual Mm. growth, this excavation of your heart. Take this that seriously.
1: So good. Well, guys, how can our listeners get plugged into all you're doing? Can you please share with us where they can find out about what you guys offer?
3: Yeah, www.living-truth.org. You can join our mailing list. We have a biweekly podcast, and then all of the information about men in the battle, women in the battle, couples in the battle when that launches etc we'll have groups open up for new members um again in august Cool.
2: well, well thank, thank
0: you guys. guys seriously wow i took so many notes oh my gosh um <laughs> yeah. seriously there's so much wisdom and gold and we learned and i just know this is going to bless our listeners a lot to so thank you guys so much for being on our podcast yeah
2: thanks for having us
3: thank you guys mm-hmm. it was a joy to be with you
0: i'm yours until the end of time hey everyone thank you so much for joining us today Don't forget to subscribe to the show, follow us on Instagram, and sign up for the upcoming course. You can also connect with us on the Ask Us Anything page at RestoredToMore.com. Also, quick note, all the work at Restored to More Inc., including this podcast, is made possible by our donors and financial partners. We wouldn't be here without those who have generously given to the cause of restoration. If you ever feel led to give, you can do so on the donate page on our website,